If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 12, 1. Hebrews 12, 1. I want to talk to you today about being a balcony person. Wherefore, seeing we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set out before us. I want to talk with you this morning about focusing on affirmation rather than on rejection. Rejection is like a lethal poison. A whole lot of it will make you very, very sick. And some people take their lives if they're getting a whole lot of rejection. Do you remember the first time you felt rejection? Or the first time you were up close and saw it happen to somebody around you? I think the first time that I remember seeing rejection was when my brother, who was a senior in high school at that time, was calling up girls and asking for a date to the senior prom. We lived in a small house in Chattanooga, and the phone was right at the middle of the house. Anybody, anywhere in that house could hear everything that you were saying. There was no secrecy when you were on the phone. Well, he called the first girl and asked her to go to the prom with him, and they talked for about 15 minutes, and she obviously, I couldn't hear what she was saying, but she obviously said no. So he hung up, and he called another girl. And she said no. And then he called another girl. And she said no. Well, my mother was uh, starting to feel a bit uneasy about this whole thing. Uh, My dad, my mother, and I were all sitting in the living room. So she got up and walked around to where he was. And it embarrassed him. And he said, get away, get away. I'm all right, get away. Well, she left. And then he called the fourth girl. And she said no. And then he called the fifth girl, and she said no. And then he called the sixth girl, and she said no. I looked over at my dad, and for the first and only time in my life, I saw a little tear coming down his cheek. I didn't even like my brother, but I I thought things were going wrong here. And so I was hoping this would be over uh, pretty soon. You know, rejection hurts. It really, really hurts. And I could tell that my brother was hurt. Well, my brother was a National Merit Scholar. And so he decided that he would call up uh, this other girl about a half an hour later. And he said, you know... Uh, I'll be glad to help you with your English if you'll go to the prom with me. And she said, okay. (laughs) The healing antidote to rejection is affirmation. When we affirm somebody because we respect their human worth, it is a rare and lovely thing. 
Affirming somebody because we are bonded together in Christian love is an even greater thing. The early Christians were the first to experience this bonding process. And they, with their love, literally changed the world, those with whom they were in contact. Paul knew that our spirits could soar if we were affirmed. He knew that our spirits would plummet if we were hammered by the blows of criticism and rejection. We nurture others when we tell them that they are good and noble and honorable people. So many people, however, have been given massive massive degrees of rejection. Uh, It's just terrible. The average human being is inundated with rejection. I went up to... um, guy that was selling stuff in a store and I asked him where the mayonnaise was and he said beats me (laughs) you know we have a lot of that in this life people that don't help that don't even want to help they have no plan of helping they certainly have no plan of affirming you and helping you many writers have said that rejection is not the exception in our world, it is the rule. Joyce Landorf Heatherly wrote a book entitled Balcony People. It's one of the most interesting books that I have ever read. She says in there that there are only two basic types of people. There are the affirmers or the balcony people. And then there are also those that are evaluators. And they're the critics. The latter group, of course, majors on rejection. I don't know why, but I seem to remember all of the critics earlier in my life. I remember the evaluators that uh, really didn't have anything good to say. I remember way back in high school when they said, well, you're not fast enough to be on the track team. You're not smart enough to make an A in that class. You're not strong enough to be on the boxing team. You're not social enough to be one of the class officers. I had that kind of stuff all the time. Those people hurt my feelings, and I remember them. Perhaps you, too, have had a basket full of memories about evaluators about people that stood off at a distance and looked at you and basically said with their demeanor, their eyes, their words, that you didn't measure up in one way or another. There have been times in my life when I really needed somebody to come up beside me and say, I'm for you. You know, I stand with you. God bless you. What you're trying to do. Well, some people feel real good about saying negative, discouraging, destructive words to each of us. We need help not to focus on the evaluators, but to change our focus to the affirmers. Everyone here today at some time in your life uh, had somebody who saw your potential 
and complimented and encouraged that potential that was within you. I had a track coach in junior high who told me that I had a natural ability in the distance races. He said nice things about my ability. He said, I think, I think you can be a champion. He also said that to everybody else in the room. <laughs> but I liked it. You know, I took it, and uh, I thought it was nice of him to uh, say that. I worked harder for him than for any other coach that I ever had. I had a preaching professor in seminary who wrote me a personal letter after I preached in class. When the letter came to my mailbox, I got it out and I saw that it was from him and I thought, well, my sermon was so bad that he couldn't talk to me about it, so he sent me a letter. (laughs) I just felt uh, terrible about it. Well, I opened the letter and it was a pretty nice letter. He encouraged me to keep preaching. Guess what? I still have that letter. That was a really affirming letter. We love people who respect us, who believe in us. We appreciate so much the affirmer who encourages us to stretch and to dream beyond our self-imposed limits. One affirmer, one affirmer is worth a thousand critics. A thousand evaluators. We have all, at one time or another in our lifetime, been crushed by an evaluator or two. We think as Christians we are supposed to appear extremely victorious all the time. We think people expect us to be on a continual spiritual high all the time. The painful truth is, After we hear someone criticizing us behind our backs, we feel terrible. Sometimes we have nagging feelings of guilt because we know some uh, way how we're supposed to feel. Uh, We're not sure exactly, but we know we're supposed to in some way uh, feel like we're really on top of the world, and we don't. And we feel guilty about that. Uh, We go to church sometimes and we see these people that we think are flawless, that are brilliant, that are successful, that are smiling. And we think in our own mind, now why couldn't I be like that? Why couldn't I have all of those attributes? You know what the problem is? The problem is, is that we have listened to the evaluators All of our life, we've listened to them, and we have lowered ourselves and lowered ourselves and lowered ourselves. Freudian psychologists call these people basement people. The basement people in your past have pulled you down. They keep pulling you down all the way through your life. They say things like this when you're trying to do something. Oh, you can't do that. Or they say, you'll never be able to do that. Or they say to us, well, you've been divorced twice. Or they say to us, you didn't make good enough grades in college to get into that field. They're always trying to put us down. They tell us why we can't do thus and such. They drop subtle or not so subtle hints 
about our inferior uh, attributes. Perhaps you had a mother or a father who verbally abused you along the way. Perhaps you had a teacher somewhere along the way that told you that you would never be able to understand uh, those complex issues. Well, perhaps to this day you remember almost drowning in their critical evaluation. Let me come to you today with a great message. It's the other half of all of that. There are not only basement people in this world, there are also balcony people. There are some folks up there in the balcony of our lives that are trying to cheer us along. Listen to them. Listen very carefully to them. Listen to the people who tell you that they believe in you. Listen to the people who believe that you can succeed. Their words will give you strength and courage and a great surge of confidence in your life. Our text this morning, verse 1, speaks of a great cloud of witnesses. Over the years, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, who, who are those great cloud of witnesses? Who is that? I believe, and many of the commentaries say this, I believe that those balcony people are the heroes of faith that were mentioned in chapter 11 of Hebrews. The hall of fame uh, people in the matter of faith. These are heavenly entities and angels in Jesus. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I know each of you have had some balcony people in your lives. Perhaps some of those people are here today. There might be someone in the room this morning that led you to Christ or that led you in studying the Word of God, that helped you in some meaningful way, that stood behind you and encouraged you in whatever you were doing. Now I want to ask you a very personal question that's an important question. How many people are you a balcony person for? You know, there are a lot of people that need an encouraging word from you. From you. You're the only one that they might hear it in the right context. The early Christians were balcony people for each other, no question about that. One first century pagan wrote this, My, how those Christians love one another. Well, that's been the history of Christendom. We're supposed to get behind each other, help each other, bless each other, lead each other, praise each other. That's what we're supposed to do. In relationships, in goals, in ministry, we are to focus on that which we can affirm, on what's positive. We need to build each other up in the Lord. 
You ought to be building your husband up in the Lord. You ought to be building your wife up in the Lord. You ought to be building your neighbors up in the Lord. When I went to college at Baylor, I wanted to preach anywhere they would let me. There were hundreds of uh, kids studying to be preachers, and so I, I didn't get a lot of chances. So whenever I got a chance, I took it. One week, a fellow that lived in the dorm where I lived, he asked me to go and preach at his little country church in East Texas about two weeks from then. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Well, I didn't know what I was agreeing to, but uh, I agreed to it. So I found a guy in the dorm that, that grew up in East Texas, and he knew all about East Texas. And I said, would you go with me? I've never been to East Texas. He said, yeah, I'll go. I know all those roads. And I said, well, good. Go with me, help me. Well, we got up uh, from the seminary at four in the morning. We drove east for about uh, two hours, and the sun came up. And then we drove another hour, and I saw a little clump of something blue beside the road. And I thought, what is that? And I asked him, this guy that had grown up in East Texas, I said, what is the blue stuff? He said, those are blue bonnets. He said, they grow in clumps in East Texas in the spring of the year. He said, I have been seeing those uh, all my life. You know, as if to say, those are nothing special to me. Well, as we drove along, my friend uh, started counting something. He said, one. We drove a little while, and he said, two. Well, we uh, were driving along, and there was a, a bigger clump of those blue bonnets. And I thought, man, alive, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. It's like God reached down and just kind of painted in there. It was beautiful. Well, my friend didn't pay attention to that. He was counting. He said, three. We drove a little further. He said, four. Well, I, uh, I kind of looked at him, and, and uh, we came to a rise in the road. When we got to the top of the hill, I looked to the left. And there was a whole valley of blue bonnets. It was at least a mile across. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life. I, I thought maybe we ought to pull the car over to the side of the road and get out and take a minute. You know, I mean, it was that beautiful. It was like God had put a blue carpet over about a mile of, of land. It was just unbelievable. My friend paid no attention to it whatsoever. We kept going. He said, five. <laughs> kept going. He said, six. Finally, I was so irritated that he wasn't watching the blue bonnets and seeing how beautiful they were. I said, what in the world are you counting? And he said, I'm counting dead armadillos along beside the road. Here are the blue bonnets. Here are the dead armadillos. He was focusing in on the wrong thing. The wrong thing. You know, that's what a lot of people do. They go through their whole life focusing in on how they can put people down. How they can say something critical. How they can say something that perhaps would hurt somebody's feelings. They, they plan 
how they're going to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's really unbelievable. They criticize rather than affirm. We need to be balcony people. The early Christians understood 2 John verse 6. If we love God, we will do whatever he tells us to do. And he has told us from the first to love each other. James 4.11 says, Don't criticize and speak evil of each other. If you do, you will be fighting against God's law of loving one another. In Romans 12.9, Paul admonishes, Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them. And verse 10 drives my thesis home. Love each other with brotherly affection and take delight in honoring each other. Have you asked lately what God would have you to do in your life? I think there are a lot of things that God wants us to do, but have you asked him lately what he wants you to do? I can tell you this morning one thing that he wants you to do for sure. He wants you to be a balcony person. He wants you to affirm and stand beside folks when they're having a hard time. Where do we get our ideas of affirmation? We get them from Jesus. He really loved people. He forgave people. He affirmed people. He was the ultimate balcony person. This morning, if you're here in the house, and for whatever reason you've never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray you do that today. We've had baptism. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. I pray that the only thing that else that could happen that would be wonderful is if Some folks would be saved or some folks would join the church. This would be a great day. I hope that you'll come in the freedom that we have in America. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out and come forward. Take a stand for Jesus who died for you. Let's stand together as we sing.